Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Again, so happy you could join me for this week's episode. So we'll get started here looking at some of the changes that are still going on because of COVID-19. It seems like we started looking at how this was going to evolve, and it continues to be such a changer, such a game changer when it comes to how we are doing safety and how we'll continue to do safety. And the way that we're protecting our team, the way that we're preparing, all of that is really changing because of the COVID-19 pandemic that occurred. So the first one came where a California Police Department was fined $32,000 over different outbreaks and also a death of a detective from COVID-19. So now it's moving into that public sector of what are we doing? How have we protected these essential workers? And this will be just the beginning because they were the front lines and we've seen for months now, as we've talked through this, that it's been medical workers, that there's been a lot of fines, a lot of call-outs, a lot of changes in the medical field because of what we've seen. And now it's moving into our police and seeing how that's going to change. And so that found that interesting that we're seeing this, this ripple effect. It's starting with the center of where a lot of it was happening in the medical field. And now we're seeing it ripple out. And I'm just curious of where this will go, how far this will go, because there's another article I found that I found very interesting, that this was in the Northeast. This was a dental practice that was cited for an OSHA violation. They provided N95 respirators. They didn't just provide them. They required them of their staff, but they did not do any fit testing. They did not do any training. They did not have any written programs on any of those items. Ultimately, they were fined uh, right around $10,000. They paid the fine. They abated all the issues, didn't find it. But what's interesting is that, okay, so we were going through this phase where if you're a medical worker, you should be provided an N95. And the law is very clear. You have two options when it comes to respiratory protection or true respiratory protection. You can either fit test and train, or you can provide it on a voluntary basis. And just basically you set it out and say, hey, if you want to use it, it's here for you. 
You can choose the normal medical mask. You can choose the N95 mask, whatever you want. It's here if you want it. But you better have something signed that says it is voluntary use only. And what's great is that if you're familiar with the law, and I know I'm talking to safety people here, so we are familiar with the law. <laughs> but there's a great reference in there in the appendix that you can just copy and paste that exact language for voluntary use. Copy and paste into a Word document, add a date line, a signature line into it, and just have those around. Even put them on your letterhead if you want. And you can have those available. Done that. And works very well. And you just file it away. And in a small dental practice, or even a moderately sized one, that wouldn't be hard to do. But you can see here that it was something looking at that they were trying to do something and really felt like kind of a half effort there. <laughs> Not really that, that full go for it, because... If you're going to force people to do something, you better be prepared to train and understand what you're forcing them to do. And I know that we were all moving so quickly to adapt to COVID-19. How fast can we move? What do we need to require? If we're going to require, how do we do it? But there has to be more than just buying PPE and giving it to someone and forcing them to wear it. There, there's always more. Even as basic as gloves, you need to demonstrate and document that you've shown people how to put on and take off gloves or when they should be used. And so there were some bloodborne fines, there were, of course, respiratory protection fines, hazard communication fines, and of course, it all along with training, that there wasn't a whole lot of training offered. And that's so important as we're going into this, and I think we might see more of this, or I really feel like we'll see more of this, that there were these offices that wanted to get themselves back open, and they heard this thing about an N95 and said, okay, I'll buy a bunch, and I'll just make my people wear them, without thinking about the idea that this is, I know you can go to Walmart and you can buy these things, you can go to Lowe's or any other hardware store and buy these things, so why on earth would they take anything special for me to wear them? Because they're a respirator. And according to the law, if you are wearing a respirator because you have to as part of your job, if you're required to wear it, you have to be trained, you have to be fit tested. And that lack of knowledge of the law doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not still there. You have to follow it. And I think this is where we, as a safety community, really can shine. This is where people need to hear from us that, hey, if you're going to start wearing an N95, you need to know, here's the basics of it. And I think it's good testament for our profession. And maybe, maybe this whole idea will really open up the doors more for our profession. I mean, we're in great demand now, but maybe this will help shed some light on that there is some important things we do in legal compliance that maybe you should reach out before you do something like that to a local safety person and get some opinions or get some help and just understanding like what law is available out there and even just to point you in the right direction. So I found that uh, to be an interesting for sure because it is something that we're going to probably see a lot more of 
and not something I really thought about because I really felt like most people were doing in 95 as part of voluntary respiratory protection and they were just offering it out there. Most medical places already have a process for equipping and fit testing based on what they're already doing. But if you're out there in the medical community and you're being forced to wear an N95 or something like that, look it up and uh, help get your team on compliance. Uh, It's very important. It's something that you want to be aware of because it can sneak up on you before you know it and you could have a serious OSHA trouble if you are not aware of it. Even though the N95 is important, we're hearing more and more about having the medical community in N95s. And I think that also has led to this lack of, I guess, diligence from that standpoint because it moves so fast. Because at first it was like, okay, social distance, wash your hands. It quickly evolved into wear a mask. And then it was, we'll save the N95 masks for medical providers because they're going to be the front lines. We need to save them for them. And so if you are in the medical community and suddenly you're being told, hey, you need this N95, we're hearing this guidance. And the guidance sometimes got lost in translation about the requirements beyond just handing someone an N95 mask. Because there's more to it than just handing someone an N95, N99, half-face, full-face respirator. You can't just do that. You've got to train or make it just voluntary. But the guidance was so strong for our medical community to make sure they were wearing N95s to protect themselves. I can see where some of the haste would have created some gaps in compliance. And what's interesting is that in the next half of the podcast coming up, I've got a whole nother story about how we've moved so fast or we've done some things here during this COVID pandemic that are creating some gaps out there in the safety world or especially the environmental world in this case. And this is one of the more interesting articles I've found. So this is something that I think we're going to see more of is how did the rush How fast we had to move during this pandemic. How did that change? How did that affect us in the long term? Did we miss some of the the paperwork we need to get? And if you don't have a safety professional guiding you through it, you might want to reach out to one. And I know, again, probably talking to a lot of safety professionals, but if you're a safety professional and you you know some local people, you might want to reach out and make sure they're, if you've got a friend, maybe you you bowl with on the weekend who's a dentist or something like that has a small practice, you might want to just remind them that, hey, if you put your people in N95, you might want to check the law out. Not official, not giving you official consulting here, but hey, just as a friend to a friend, make sure you check this out. I'll send you a link to it later. Uh, Just something we do as safety professionals. I know I've had people occasionally time to time tap me on the shoulder and ask me a question about something like, do I really need to do that? Yeah, yeah, let me give you some links to that, and you can look it up yourself, and we'll just help you out, help you give you some guidance on what's really out there, because a lot of what we do is that education, and at the end of the day, if we're helping protect people at work, we're doing what we should be doing. More podcast coming up in just a moment. 
TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com And welcome back to the second half of the podcast. Again, glad you're with me this week as we talk through how we lead and learn through safety experiences. And so I promised, closing out the last part of the podcast there that just a minute ago, that looking at how we've moved so fast that maybe we've missed some things um, or our legislators have allowed us to miss a few things and one of the articles I came across is that there's been some EPA enforcement cutbacks during COVID. And I'll admit that I haven't been on the forefront of the EPA stuff in a while. Did that a lot and some prior items. But in my current role, I only have to know awareness of it. But I'm not right on that cutting edge of what's happening. But it appears that there's been some changes in some of the compliance. And they've allowed some temporary like slowdowns of data reporting. They've allowed some temporary enforcement, just holding back on certain enforcement, uh, holding back on items like uh, testing and monitoring of, of air quality and having to understand, okay, what, when do we get back to normal? When do we get back to doing it the way we used to? And the argument that was made to the government was that, well, we need our safety and health professionals focusing on preventing pollution during this time, not just monitoring it. But it seems that without measuring it, how do you know if you're doing good or bad? And I'm not going to get into the politics of it. There's That can get really ugly really quick. But I also understand the idea that, hey, you've got to measure something to know whether it's good or bad. And data can be dangerous. I completely understand that. Because, of course, it's always the drive to a number. Just get me to a number. The truth is, you got to have a good process. The end result is just a number that tells you whether your process is working for you. And you need to go back and fix the process, not just fix the number. And same thing with OSHA. Uh, it's not about getting a recordable rate low. It's about having a process in place that protects people. Same thing with environmental. It's not about not reporting the numbers. It's not about uh, fixing the numbers. It's about having a process that prevents pollution, that pr protects our communities and our, our land and our water and our air. And so this article really goes into some, some idea that these waivers were filed, that 
all these ideas that we've just held back because we were moving so fast and we've allowed certain things to slip by that, well, maybe we don't need to do that right now because we got more important things to focus on, like making sure we're producing things for, to keep the economy up and running. And let's lack, let's back off on some of these reporting ideas for environmental issues so I'm going to keep an eye out for this one to see where it keeps going, because I think I'm seeing this, is, I think, is going to become a, a bigger topic to us very, very soon as things have to return to normal. And we start looking at the data of how did this affect the environmental system? Where did we have spikes? Where did things happen? So I'm interested to see where this may go, because it's been going on since March and still continuing for now. And the argument of, of this one article, and again, I'm not going to just go off one article, is that we're seeing higher releases because we're not monitoring as closely, which would make some sense and would not give credence to the idea that if we're not monitoring it, then we're out there working to make it better. I think my biggest concern is that maybe they use this as an opportunity to furlough safety people during a pandemic and the chemical or whatever industries have, have taken advantage of this. I hope not. I really hope not because this is when we were needed most to help protect people. This is when we were really needed to help guide people that when we were staying open, when we were keeping parts of it open and hopefully they, hopefully that wasn't, the case. But again, only time will tell us that. And it's something to keep an eye out for, for sure. So in some other news, an interesting, another interesting article of a, a CEO was testifying as part of a fatality investigation. And this was up in Canada, but I found it interesting because the CEO was of a cart manufacturer. So this cart fell apart and unfortunately killed someone. And he was testifying that they were misusing this cart. And sure enough, you're reading through it and you find out there was no training on how to use this, this pretty complicated cart to move some very heavy items on a construction site. They had replaced OEM parts with rusty bolts instead of new bolts from the original manufacturer. Lots of things were not right about how they handled it or the, the company that was actually using the cart said that it was overloaded. It was, it was not in good condition, no training on how to use it. And unfortunately someone lost their life because of it. And that is something that why, how much money was saved when I look at this by using an old rusty bolt, a screw that you can go to any hardware store and buy versus a new one. Or even calling the manufacturer and saying, hey, which one should I buy? Or can you send me a new one? How much money was saved by not doing training on how to use this properly? And was it worth it? No. No, not at all. Very, very disappointing. And another one here, and this is unfortunately a very common news article that I see a lot of, and it's disturbing, but it was a contractor working on a vessel at a paper mill and they were doing hot work 
and it developed into a very large fire and contractors lost their lives because of it. Hot work and fine space entry, so common that it's not done right. And it leads to very serious, very serious injuries or death. And those are the things you've got to do right. If you're looking at having the hazard in place where you need to do confined space entry or hot work on certain items, it's got to be done right. Now, on the flip side, a lot of companies do it right. A lot of good safety people out there are advocating to put the time in and do it right. But it's always sad to see something like this where someone goes in, starts doing some work, underestimates the hazard whether the company didn't tell them about it, whether they didn't ask, whether they just didn't know, but the hazard was underestimated in some form. And then a serious issue occurs. Never, never good to see that. And one of the final things I found was this was a wrongful death lawsuit for a factory worker that was hung up in a very large conveyor. So this, this was a concrete brick manufacturer, so pretty large, heavy-duty conveyor. Um, someone was hung up in it, unfortunately, again, lost their life, and was sued about a year ago for wrongful death. And suddenly and with unexpectedly, the, the lawsuit was retracted. And I always f- find this to be something that, really sparks my interest because there's always two sides to anything like this because it is this is the complexity and this is the part of the safety job that keeps me up at night as a safety professional who cares and goodness gracious there's so many great safety professionals out there every day that are that that care and a lot of good companies out there that care, but you have two sides of the company. You have those companies that are just don't care. You have those companies who are not there. They're not good yet, but they're really working hard to get there. And then you have the companies that are good and they keep trying to get better and better every day. And then you have some companies have a great safety professional there or have a safety professional there. Let me put it that way. Some don't. Some have hired one just recently and, are giving them resources and time and money to do the things they need to do to make it right. So when you're in those situations, you can predict the overall, like, okay, I'm 90% sure we can get this done. But there's always that 1%. There's always that one person that could make a choice for any reason. Because we're complex or we're complex organisms. When you think about everything on your mind, if you were to make a list in the next five minutes of everything your mind thinks about, just just bullet points, you'd be amazed with the different things your mind would switch around to and how many things are pulling you in different directions and how a single lapse of judgment with a system that doesn't have the layers of protection that you need can lead to something very severe. And it's so two-sided. So when these lawsuits happen, of course, there's going to be such, they're going to bring up all the things the employer are doing. But on the flip side, the employer's attorneys are going to point out everything that person could have potentially done wrong. And it can get really rough. It can get very ugly. And I'm just, 
in some ways, I hope they find some closure one way or the other, because it's a horrible situation. And we have such a complex work that we do trying to change behaviors and ideas and methods. And at the same time, engineer it so that the work can be done, but it can be done safely. So even though this is the end of the week, I wanted to bring this up. I caught this a little late. I'm going to hopefully keep my, um, keep my eyes open for this next year, but this is closing out this week is rail safety week. So as you're traveling and if you have to cross any railroad tracks, make sure you stop, look and listen. Don't break across any barriers. Don't cross any lights. Stay safe there. Any vehicle, you're not going to win against that train. And those trains do not stop quickly. It takes a long time to stop a train. So as we close out the uh, Rail Safety Week of 2020, be careful as you're crossing over those railroad truck crossings, wherever you may be. So until next time we chat, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast.